Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Where does it hurt is a question you might only expect to hear at the doctor's office or the nurse at the urgent care clinic. After a very long weekend helping facilitate a conference here at Life in Deep Ellum, uh, the Compassion and Justice Conference that we hosted, major shout out to our worship team and all who volunteered. I might say in response to that question, where does it hurt? Well, my neck hurts, my back hurts, my feet hurt after long days of wearing uh, cute shoes that don't have great arch support. Um, I am 30 after all now. Just kidding, just kidding. I know, I know. But before we break out the aspirin and the ice packs and head home to nurse our aches and pains, uh, let's wrestle with this question for just a while. Because you see, where does it hurt is a question that God is familiar with asking. Our God has always been near to the brokenhearted. Suffering in all of its complexity is a place that God is very familiar with, even more familiar than we might expect. It is our God, after all, who deeply and personally knows what it's like to be human, to fall and skin your knee, to feel frustrated and even betrayed by an aging body, to wipe away beads of sweat on a sun-beaten brow, to feel the aches of feet that need to rest. I mean, I can't imagine that the sandals Jesus wore had very good arch support either. (laughs) It's our amazing God who created us, who not only decided to create human beings as an object of the story, But God cared deeply enough about creation to become a subject in the story. And that story has been recorded since ancient times in our holy scripture. 1 Samuel, the the passage I'm going to be reading, reading from today, from 1 Samuel, is an ancient history book that's part of what's called the Deuteronomistic, that's a hard word, history or a theological history of the old, in the Old Testament or in 1 Samuel chapter 1 if you'd like to start to find your way there. You see, ancient Hebrew people didn't see the story of humans and the story of God as two separate histories. They weren't like two different genres in the library, two different sections to visit, this ancient culture, our ancestors in faith, recorded stories about the subjects in one great story of God and creation. And in this way of recording history, the goal wasn't always to be perfectly accurate or include every historical detail just right. The goal of these books, our our scripture, was to tell the story of God and God's people as perceived by 
a particular group's vantage point. But the cool part about this is that this doesn't mean we can just dismiss these old books as inaccurate history books that miss the mark on a perfect representation of all of reality. No, instead we can engage with this subjective and yet powerful living word and see how the Holy Spirit helps us to hear a fresh word in our time, one that speaks to us even now. Because you see, God is still a subject in the story, moving and working and renewing the world through Christ Jesus and his love for us. And the thing about being human is that sure, a lot changes over a few thousands of, thousands of years. Things like culture and worldview and language and dialect, geography, these things can change over thousands of years. But some things about being human, as our Bible shows us, don't change. We are still creatures, humans, trying to know and love our creator. And we're still humans experiencing the unique phenomenon of being human, pain and all. In this story from 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet Hannah, who is in a lot of pain. I'm gonna read um, a few verses from the first chapter um, of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And we're gonna start, um, we're gonna start at verse three. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if you will only look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child 
then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. Let's pause there in the story. We meet Hannah, who is in, as I said, a lot of pain. She's part of a patriarchal culture in which she has to compete for her value as a woman. You see, women in this time are mostly valued for their ability to bear children. And her sister wife is winning at this competition and giving her a hard time for it. Patriarchy has a deceptive way of turning women against each other sometimes, and we see that here. The scripture says that God has closed her womb, which is an ancient Israelite way of describing infertility. Their theology at that time fundamentally understood God as opening and closing wombs, being directly responsible for fertility. With modern science about fertility in our bodies, we might have a little bit more of a nuanced theology about this subject. We can have different understandings, of course. But regardless of how we understand infertility, we meet Hannah in her humanness. Hannah is facing deep, deep grief in her body. And this is something that humans can relate to today. Our bodies are sacred sites where we meet God, where the us and God intersect. And while our bodies are gifts that can be filled with joyful experiences, our bodies can also be deeply frustrating to us when we face the fragility, vulnerability, and mortality of life. And Hannah, in her grieving body, is a subject in the story with God. But in this moment of the story, she finds herself at a tender, aching moment of pain between these two subjects, between her and God. Because you see, she would long for God to bring fertility to her womb. And instead, her womb is a place that holds more grief than gestation. And her husband simply doesn't get it. Why is your heart sad, he says. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Dude. <laughs> Come on. But before we judge Elkanah for being an out-of-touch hubby who needs to learn a thing or two about the experience of being a woman, we can have some compassion for him. He, too, is facing the pain of their situation. And we can all relate to times when he, we have asked unhelpful questions in the moments of someone's greatest grief. We've either taken someone's pain personally, like Elkanah does, or we've gotten caught up in our own assumptions about what someone is feeling. We've told them, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. We've made their pain about us sometimes, or maybe sometimes we haven't heard them at all. 
Because maybe we know that if we truly listen to someone else's pain, if we truly ask where does it hurt and listen to the answer that we hear, we'd have to face our own pain with more honesty. Hannah's pain is inconvenient and uncomfortable for her husband. And pain often feels inconvenient and uncomfortable for us. But you see, dear community, the pain of humans, the pain of creation itself is not inconvenient or uncomfortable to God. Hannah knows this because she goes to God and prays, hushed prayers under her breath. She knows that while others around her may not have the space or container to hold her grief, God surely can, and God does. Enter in another subject, the priest Eli, the pastor, if you will. And he thinks that she is drunk because she is praying silently with only her lips moving. Normally, prayers were spoken aloud. And so he is confused. How could God hear her if only her lips are moving? Lord, help us. God doesn't need a translator to translate Hannah's lips. He doesn't need subtitles. Our God can handle silent prayers. And Eli thinks she is drunk. Leave it to a pastor to assume she's just under the influence. Oh, she's under the influence, all right. The influence of a deeply present God who loves her and sees her. She's pouring her soul out to God. Not her wine. She's not drunk. And maybe, dare I say, human beings would have less vulnerability to addiction to substances if there were more safe spaces to pour out your soul to God. Maybe, just maybe, if we felt less shame about being human, we wouldn't need substances to numb our pain. Eli, the priest, attempts to shame her public display of grief, saying, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine, he says. Ah, but the voice of the oppressor can never, ever silent, silence a human's voice because she says back to him, hear what she says in response. No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Come on now, Hannah. She speaks the truth in love to him. She boldly rejects his invitation to shame and instead invites Eli to a greater understanding of who God is. 
And he has a choice here. He can go on the defensive or he can let the Holy Spirit act in his heart. We always have that choice too. Eli chooses the second. He chooses to be moved by the Spirit. And he says to her, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. He chooses transformation. And then peace in their relationship is restored. But it's not a peace that was created with platitudes or easy answers or solutions to fix her pain. It's not an easy answer situation. Peace is created when two beloved children of God speak their truth in love to each other and allow God to show up and transform the moment. And then, my friends, miracles happen. People hear each other in different ways and people feel seen in different ways. People feel less alone in their humanity and more connected to God when they have safe spaces to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be in pain. When we ask the question, where does it hurt? We do the brave, brave, brave work of making room for the Holy Spirit to come in and bring healing. Because the good news is the same place where it hurts is the same place that God brings healing. And so when we bring these honest, vulnerable conversations to bear, we bring about such sacred space. Because then we can feel seen by God. We can feel connected to our Lord and Savior. We can feel loved even where it hurts. Yesterday, a speaker at this conference, Caitlin Curtis, she's the author of the book Native, and she's an indigenous author and storyteller, and she said that We've got to go to the wound if we want to find God's healing. She said that we're really good at putting Band-Aids on bleeding wounds. And she said, less Band-Aids, more healing. Whatever the issue of pain is, it could be infertility, it could be racial injustice, it could be any painful issue. If we slap Band-Aids on it, we're not giving God the space to bring transformative healing. Less Band-Aids, more healing. I want to take a moment to acknowledge your own stories and maybe the pain that you are carrying or have carried. I'm not sure what that pain is, 
Maybe you're not in a season of feeling much pain, and that's a blessing. I celebrate that with you. But maybe you know the pain of being human. You know experiences of mental illness, anxiety, depression, shame, addiction. You feel judged or ashamed or disconnected from others because of that pain. Maybe you're carrying something alone that might be longing to be carried with others and even carried by God. It isn't easy to talk about your pain. It's very, very scary. It's very vulnerable. But I know, my friends, I know that God is up to something beautiful when we have the bravery to trust each other with our pain. Because then we can look at each other and say, oh, I'm not alone. You too? You've had to look up good therapists in DFW? Do you have any recommendations? You too have been to AA? You too have felt depressed? You too feel like an insufficient parent some days? You too are angry at the injustice in our nation? You too, not just me. I encourage you, if you are experiencing pain or someone you know is experiencing pain, to know this, that you are seen by God and you are not alone. Especially if you have experienced the grief of miscarriage, of infertility, know this, you are seen and beloved by God. And please reach out to me or someone on staff and we can walk alongside you in your grief. Reach out to someone in this community. Reach out to your life group leader, your friend. Say, I'm hurting and I need your help because that's when the love of Christ becomes real in our midst. Shame becomes less powerful when we speak about our hurt and we bear each other's burdens. As we uh, close this time together, I know it's been deep, I know it's been heavy, um, and I, I thank you for going, going here today, for asking these questions and sitting with uncomfortable and sometimes inconvenient answers. My prayer for us is that we would continue here at Life in Deep Ellum to be a place where it is safe and free of shame to honestly ask each other where it hurts and listen to those answers without rushing to solutions, assumptions, or judgment. And may God hold our tongue, oh my, from platitudes. You know, the ones like, everything happens for a reason. 
May God hold our tongue from those platitudes, and may we instead ask sincere and loving questions, listen deeply to each other's pain, and listen to our own pain when it rises up. And may we know that no amount of pain can ever separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, the deep, abiding, sacred love As I said just a moment ago, God is not unfamiliar with pain. Where it hurts, the good news is, where it hurts is also where God is. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm.